Okay, it's really good to see all of you here today. Uh, I'm sure it'll be good for us to look at uh, this passage, but before that we need to ask God for His help, isn't it? Because it does seem like a pretty long and complicated passage, and I think it really requires us to have God to guide us as to understand His Word. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we really ask for your help to understand your Word, to put us into the shoes of Daniel, to give us understanding, to speak to us, and to reassure us so that we may truly have understanding of who you are and what the future holds for us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, now, someone in, my, uh, in our congregation uh, shared uh, a few weeks ago about how they went to a hotel in, uh, in, in Asia somewhere for a regional conference, and they had all these top executives with them. And uh, the next morning, uh, they shared this story about how... Uh, they were in the hotel room and uh, one of the executives from Europe was sleeping and they felt some great weight sitting on them as they were sleeping. And then somebody else said, oh, in the middle of the night I heard this loud banging on the door. And then somebody else said that the window shades were going up and down in their room without them doing anything. So this person asked me, uh, from our congregation actually, said, uh, what should we make of all this? Right? Uh, should I have been scared? What, what should I have done? And in many ways, I think, it's a question of how we understand spiritual forces. Uh, whether we really believe that there is a spiritual dimension, whether we believe that there are spiritual powers. And I think today's passage, in a sense, gives us an understanding of what is really being said here, in terms of spiritual powers, spiritual dimension, spiritual forces. It begins in chapter 10, verse 1 to 2. And again, it situates us in the life of Daniel. Since then, in the third year of King Cyrus, of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called, called Belshazzar. His message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Now we see here that it's actually the third year of King Cyrus's rule, the Persian rule of Babylon. And this was to be a very momentous occasion in history because uh, if you see up here on the slide, we, all along, in the first couple of chapters in Daniel, we'd seen that the Babylonians were the ones in charge. And this is where Daniel was. And now, the next slide, we see that the Persian and the Mede powers have come and they've now uh, taken power and they've overcome Babylon, the kingdom itself. And as we saw the last few weeks, this would have been a, a time of great joy and expectation, a great uh, occasion for happiness, because... If you see in the next map, God had promised that the Jews would be captive for 70 years because of their disobedience to God. But after 70 years, they would be returned back home to the promised land. And as you see, when King Cyrus came to power, which is up here, 66 years had passed. And therefore, there was great expectation that they would go back. It would be a wonderful time. And as we've seen, God, when He makes His promises, He always keeps His promises. They're always fulfilled. And therefore, as we read in another part of the Bible, in the book of Ezra, God did fulfill His promise because when King Cyrus, the king of Persia, came to power, He proclaimed and He actually gave a decree that all the exiles from the Jerusalem and all the exiles from Judah could return back. It says there in Ezra chapter 1, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. 
This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with you, with him, sorry, and let him go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So this would have been a wonderful time, a time where people could go back to rebuild the temple, to go back home. But for Daniel, in the third year of Cyrus, all these hopes, all these expectations were like a carpet ripped out from under him, like a bucket of cold water poured on him. Because Daniel receives a revelation from God, a message from God. And it says here in verse 1 that it was a true revelation. It was reliable and it was trustworthy. And it was about a great war. Not a small war, but about a great war. And it seems to concern God's people. Because this revelation was so shocking and so disturbing that we read that Daniel mourned for three weeks. He couldn't eat. He didn't want to drink wine. He didn't want to celebrate. He didn't want to put the lotions and everything on his body. Things should have been getting better, but instead the revelation showed him that things were going to get much worse. Now, what happens next gives us an idea of what is going to happen. So in verse 4 it says, On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris. I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, it was like some sort of crystal, right? His face was like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. Now in verse 4, we see why Daniel may have been so sad and so mournful at this time. Because to our great surprise, it says in verse 4, that on the 24th day of the first month, he was standing by the banks of the great river Tigris. Now if you look up here on the slide, the river Tigris is actually here in Babylon, right, in the region of Babylon. So while everybody else, all his fellow countrymen are making the journey back to Jerusalem, it seems as if Daniel is still stuck in Babylon. And on the 24th day or the first month, well, that means nothing to us, right, that date. I mean, what does it mean, the 24th day of the first month? But it was very significant to Daniel because actually on the 14th day of that first month, they would have celebrated the Passover. And to celebrate the Passover, all the Jews would have gone back to Jerusalem. This would be a very important time. It's like, you know, where everybody goes back to their hometown for Chinese New Year. Well, that was what it was like during this time. For the Passover, 
they were to go back to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover at the temple and remember what God had done. So they were to celebrate, as you see here in Leviticus, for seven days. So from the 14th day to the 21st day, everybody was meant to make their way back to Jerusalem to celebrate the great Passover meal, to remember God. But here, poor Daniel is still stuck in Babylon. And while he's back in Babylon, he sees a person. This is not a revel- this is not a vision, okay? It's not as if a dream is happening. He actually sees a real person. Okay, he's not dreaming. It's during the daytime. He's walking on the banks of Tigris and he sees this person. And he reacts with great terror. He's he's deathly pale. He's he's helpless. And everyone around him also reacts the same way. Now this is really amazing because if you remember, Daniel was a person of great, great courage. He has stood before the kings of Nebuchadnezzar, of Belshazzar, of Darius and Cyrus, and he was fearless before them. But here he stands before this man and, the, and he's terrified. What is it about this man that so terrifies Daniel? Well, I think the clue is in the appearance of this person. Now, if you remember, in Daniel chapter 7, there was someone, a supernatural being, who also Daniel saw, who reminds us very much of this person that he now sees in Daniel chapter 10. So Daniel chapter 7, remember this person that he sees in the vision? What does he see? He sees the thrones set in place in heaven. He sees the Ancient of Days, God himself, taking his seat. And God is described this way. His clothing was as white as snow. Much whiter than my shirt, right? His, the hair of his head was white like wool. Okay, whiter than some of the people here. His throne was like flaming fire. And the wheels were all ablaze. Now, if you then compare the vision with what Daniel sees in this person whose body is like topaz. Topaz is like, I know some of you are different Bible translations translated as a different sort of crystal. It's just this crystal-like thing, okay, like green or bronze or something, but it's a crystal, shiny object. His face was like lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and legs like bronze, and he was dressed in linen. Now, many commentators say that being dressed in linen, if you go and look in the Old Testament, is what the priests used to wear. That's what the priest's garment was. It was dressed in linen. So both the picture in Daniel chapter 7 of God and the, the reality of what this man is wearing seem to paint a picture of similarities. Right? Someone of great power, someone of great majesty, but most of all, Someone with great holiness. Right? So God is really holy. He's, he's white as wool. There is no stain of sin in God. Here's a man who's dressed like a priest, but shining with majesty and glory and power. So from what we understand of God and what we understand of this messenger, they, sh- they share the same qualities because as a messenger of God, this angel, so to speak, or this representative, shares the same qualities of purity and of power. And that's why Daniel and his friends react in the same way. They react with fear, terror, and horror. You see, whenever we see in the Bible that someone meets with God, or with God's messenger, how do they react? 
They always react the same way. They always re- react with fear. Right, so if you look up here on this slide, see up here on the slide, in Matthew chapter 28, when there was a violent earthquake, and the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and went to the tomb and rolled back the stone and sat on it, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were like white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. In Luke chapter 1, to Zechariah, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Then Zechariah saw him, and he was startled and gripped with fear. You see, whenever you meet with God, whenever you meet with an angel of God, over and over again, there is one consistent response. Fear, terror, startling. The reason is because when you meet with God, you are faced with the pure power of God and also more importantly, the holiness of God. The holiness of God. See, that's why whenever someone says to me, I, you know, I, I met with God the other day, you know, I, I spoke to the angel of God the other day, or somehow God spoke to me and I saw a vision of God. And I asked them, how did you feel when you met with God? How did you feel when you met with this angel? If the person says to you, I was happy, I was joyful, but there was no fear, then they never really met God. Because when you meet God and you meet the messenger of God, there is always fear. Because you are a sinner and God is pure holiness and His messengers are pure holiness as well. Now in verse 10 to 12, in response to this meeting of God, what happens? Meeting of God's messenger, Daniel finds himself flat on the floor, isn't it? He falls into a deep sleep, he was trembling, he was scared. But in verse 10 it says, A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. Stand up, for I have been sent. I've now been sent to you. And when he said this, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for the first day that you have set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. See here, Daniel, if you imagine, okay, there's a lot of picture language happening here. Daniel was flat on the ground, okay, he was face down on the ground. The angel raises him up to his hands and knees. Then as he stands him up, standing, but he's, you know, he's sort of trembling like a leaf in the wind. And the, and the angel says to him very encouraging words. He says, you are highly esteemed. In fact, in the ESV, it says you are greatly loved. You are valued by God. Don't be afraid because your words are heard. And I think that's exactly what Daniel needed to hear when he was scared before God, when he was fearful before God. Because when we stand before God and we are fearful because of our sin and our wickedness and the wrong things we've done, we need to hear that God still loves us. We need to hear that God still listens to us. We need to know that we are still greatly esteemed by God, valued by God, and God still hears us. I was reading a commentary, and there's a poem by someone uh, who wrote about 
What a difficult time he was having in his Christian life. And this is what he wrote. Tired, yet I can't sleep. Wounded, yet I can't weep. Sinful, yet I can't pray. Father, hear the words I cannot say. See, I'm sure that we've all felt this way before God before. We felt this way because we are so conscious of our sin, of our wretchedness, of our inability to live life that God wants us to live. And we find it very hard to approach God when we are so aware of how far, far short we've fallen before God. And this is the, the words of, of, of a person who is in that state. And I'm sure we've all been in that state before, where life is too hard before God. And I tell you, when we stand before God, or when we stand before God's angel, this is how we will feel. We will feel the desperateness of being inadequate before God. But God says to Daniel, I still love you. You're still greatly esteemed by me, and, I, and I'm listening to you. Now, we do not need an angel or a heavenly messenger to tell us that. Right? We do not need an angel to speak to us and say, you are greatly loved, and God still listens to you. Because we know that because we believe in Jesus, that promise is already given to us. In 1 John chapter 4, it says this, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment that because in this world we are like Him. See, if we are in Jesus Christ, the promise is the love of God is in us. We know that God, for all His purity, for all His, His, uh, His might, will have no threat against us because we are now loved by God because we are in Jesus Christ. God loves us and God hears us. But in verse 13, actually, this is quite funny if you actually read it again. Uh, Daniel was flat on the floor. He got up on his knees. Now he's standing up. Then now he falls back on the floor again, isn't it? Because he hears what the messenger has to say. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I'm overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. Now what a strange passage this is. If you took this passage, verse 13 to verse 17, out of, the, of Daniel, you probably never miss it. But now that you put this in here, it kind of like sounds really weird, right? I mean, what is happening here? Who is this prince of Persia? Now, what we do know is that this prince of Persia seems like a very powerful being. 
Because it makes sense of verse 2. Daniel was mourning for three weeks. Three weeks is how many days? 21 days, right? So for 21 days while he was mourning and not eating very well and not drinking wine and not putting lotion, he was actually waiting and praying and asking God for an answer. And God didn't give him an answer because the messenger whom he sent to reply to Daniel was otherwise occupied with the prince of the Persian kingdom. And this prince of the Persian kingdom seems to actively oppose the plans and the power of God. But not only does the prince of the Persian kingdom seem to oppose God's angelic being, but he seems to successfully delay God's messenger himself. Now this must be so shocking to Daniel. Why? Because this vision of this angelic messenger was so powerful, so majestic, and so great, but yet, but yet it could be delayed for three weeks, 21 days. Now, we already know that the powers on this earth seem to be able, in some ways, when they're really powerful, to have an attempt to shape things even in God's realm, in the heavenly realm. Right, so remember, in the last few weeks, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 21 to 25, remember this horn, right? The horn, which represents a powerful king, was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days, which is God, came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He will speak against the Most High and oppress the saints and try to change the set times and the laws. So we saw in Daniel 7 that actually the powers of this world have actually influenced in the, in the heavenly realms in the sense that they can actually attempt to try to change God's plans and destiny for them. In Daniel chapter 8, it says this, Out of one of them came another horn, another king, right? Which started small and then grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heavens and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. See, this is truly a frightening picture and that's why Daniel is so frightened until he falls back down onto his face. Because what it's actually saying is the powers of this earth do not just have power on this earth but seem to have so much power that extends into the realm of God and heaven itself and seems to have some ability to resist God's will and God's power. Now I remember uh, before I became a Christian, okay, uh, I, I was studying in Australia, and I was uh, living in this place called International House. International House is where a lot of students from all over overseas and Australia we come to stay in college and go to university. And I remember one of my best friends, who was one of my neighbors, was this Indonesian. Chinese student. Uh, he says Indonesian. Anyway, we were just uh, sitting around chatting one day. And he was telling me about how he had gone back home uh, one day for holiday in Indonesia. He was quite rich, 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 as, as many Indonesian Chinese are, quite a rich man, rich young man. And, and he, he was living in, in a house and his father was a rich businessman. 
So his father one day went for a long business trip and asked him to look after the shrine that was the back of his house. And my friend being the person I knew him to be, it went in one ear and came out the other, right? He just completely forgot about it, disregarded it. He had a lot of other very important things to do, right? Have fun or whatever. So the shrine became dirtier and dirtier and no one was taking care of it. Then my friend told me, and he was totally serious, right? he, he wasn't joking, that suddenly a dark veil came over him. You see, he felt as if he was wearing dark sunglasses wherever he went. And he wasn't joking, he was very serious. Right? I can tell my friend is joking. It was almost as if he was wearing dark glasses inside the house, and even when he was outside, he was wearing dark glasses. And not only that, he sensed that there was this presence sort of really oppressing him. Anyway, the father came back after his business trip and he was furious that the shrine wasn't looked after. But then when my friend told him about this dark feeling that he got and the presence that he felt, his father instead became very worried. He went from being furious to very worried. And he went off to appease the spirits or do something. And my friend uh, went back to normal. Now, if these spiritual forces, uh, depending on what my friend said, whether you believe it to be true or not, on earth can be very scary, then how much more shocking for Daniel, these spiritual forces which seem to be in heaven themselves, waging war against God, the creator God, the sustainer God, God who controls history itself, seems to be actively opposed by these spiritual forces. And that's why Daniel falls on his face in shock and dismay, because this spiritual force of the prince of the Persian kingdom can actually delay this powerful angelic being. So then what happens next? In verse 18. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. The angelic being once again reaches down to Daniel, he picks him up, he strengthens him, he stands him up. And notice he says the same words to him that he said earlier on, right? Don't be afraid, be strong, you're highly esteemed, you're loved, right? And have peace. But this time he tells him a different message, a different message to keep him upright so he doesn't fall back down on his face, right? The first thing he says, look, do you know I've come to you? I, 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 I've come to you to tell you that I will fight against the prince of Persia, but after I fight against him, what happens next? The prince of Greece will come. Now, what does this actually mean? This means that as we've read earlier on, God's plan for history still goes on. After Persia, as we read, the next kingdom will come, which is Greece. And what the heavenly messenger is actually saying to Daniel and to us is that the supernatural heavenly forces can fight against God, they can resist God, they can delay and struggle, but ultimately God's plan for history is assured, God's victory is assured when 
This heavenly messenger goes, he will fight against the prince of Persia. And when he defeats the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece will come. He's trying to reassure Daniel that as strong, as formidable, and as frightening as these forces are, even the mighty Babylonian kingdom, even the mighty Persian kingdom, God's plan will not be resisted. And that's why he says here that I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. The book of truth is not a book about history, but a book about the future. He's telling him what is going to happen as we read in chapter 11, chapter 12, what will happen in the future. But notice what he considers the book of the future. It is the book of truth. Now, how can that be, isn't it? Because when we talk about truth, we talk about things that have happened in the past. So today we talk about SG50, okay, 50 years of Singapore independence. That is the truth. Singapore has been independent for 50 years. But what about SG100? Can you say that SG100 is truth? Is that the reality? Is that cast in stone? Is that set in stone? Nobody knows. Nobody knows whether we will be here in a hundred years' time. But in God's, in God's book, when God writes, when God determines it is the book of truth because nothing can stand in this way. And that's why in verse 1 of chapter 11, it tells us a very, very important thing. Because this heavenly angel says that he has been watching over God's people since the first year of Darius the Mede. He took a stand to support and protect Michael, the prince of Israel. Now this is very important because what he's saying is, if God always wins, if God is always victorious, if God's destiny, God's plan is truth, then when he seeks to support and protect you, you will be protected and you will be supported. You should never fear. You should never be scared of the powers of this world because even the most powerful spiritual forces, God is going to protect you from. See, I remember when I first became a Christian, one of the reasons why I became a Christian was how, as I read the Bible with uh, this very, very good uh, man who read of me uh, every week, I came across this passage in Luke chapter 11, I realized that if I believed that there were spiritual forces in this world, then by myself, I couldn't stand against the spiritual forces. I was, I was hopeless. I was impotent against these spiritual forces. And this is what Jesus says. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and takes seven other spirits even more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. See, I remember when I read this passage, I was thinking to myself, how true that is. Because if there are spiritual forces and there is nothing in us to defend ourselves against these spiritual forces, then these spiritual forces can always come in. And they can always make life worse for, for me than 
than before, even if I seek to make my house clean. What it requires is a greater force to be in me, to, to occupy me, to take residence in my house so that no evil force can come in. No other force can come in. But I think that this passage speaks of something even more powerful, right? Because it says that there are spiritual forces not just at work in this world, which threaten me personally, but, but threaten even the heavenly realms. And if they can threaten the heavenly realms, then how can I stand before these spiritual forces? I am totally helpless before them. Because if this great angelic messenger has to struggle against this spiritual force, then what hope is there for me? Well, the Bible tells us that the only way not to despair is to trust in one greater than these spiritual forces, which is God Himself. Because with God, victory and protection are assured. And all the more, we are very lucky, isn't it? Because now that we live on the other side of Jesus Christ, on the other side of the cross, we know how victory has been secured. We know how victory has been won. In Revelation chapter 12, it says this, And there was a war in heaven. Michael, okay, we've heard of Michael already, right? And his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, which leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of His Christ. For the accusers of our brothers who accuses us before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. See, victory has been won through the blood of the Lamb, through Jesus And through the blood of Jesus, all powers that stand against God, even Satan and the devil himself, have been cast down and destroyed. There is nothing to fear because victory and history has been written for us. I remember when I was very young and uh, one of my sons uh, used to be quite scared of the dark. So whenever we drove through this dark tunnel, when he was scared, uh, he used to ask, uh, is Jesus bigger than the dinosaur? And we say, yes, yes, Jesus is bigger than the dinosaur. Is Jesus bigger than the dragon? I say, yep, Jesus is bigger than the dragon. Will Jesus win the dinosaur? We say, yes, Jesus will win the dinosaur. Will Jesus win the dragon? We say, yes, Jesus will win the dragon. See, in a sense... It is a picture here of, I guess, the dinosaur and the dragon are the biggest things that my son feared, right, in those days. But it's a picture of trusting faith. You think of the greatest thing that you fear. Think of the greatest power that you are afraid of. Even the spiritual power. Well, there is no power in this world, on the earth, even in the heavenly realms that we should fear. Because if God is with us in Jesus Christ, we know that the book of truth has written victory for us. We know that God supports us. We know that He protects us. 
We know that He loves us and we know that He hears us. So I think that as we look at today's passage, what a great encouragement that is. Indeed, there is nothing to fear, not even death itself. Because Jesus has won the victory for us and there is no power that will ever overcome us if we remain in Jesus, both in this world and the world to come. Truly, nothing can touch us. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to to see that indeed there is a spiritual realm, that there are spiritual forces both on earth and in heaven. These forces can be very powerful and they represent a threat to us. But dear Father, help us to see that your word promises that as long as we remain in Jesus Christ, we are loved by you, you hear us, you protect us, you support us. And there's nothing to fear, dear Father, for victory has been won by the blood of Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, destiny, the future, everything that comes has already been fulfilled. It is the truth. Therefore, since we know the end, Therefore, since we know what is to come, we pray that we will always be steadfast, that we will never fear, because we know that we have Jesus in us. We know that you are in us through the Holy Spirit, and that nothing can touch us, and that you will be always watching over us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.